Putting, putting, putting kings, kings, kings online, online. Putting Kings Online, a podcast exploring the process of designing online learning courses from the team which creates them. I'm your host, Rachel Wall, and in each episode of Putting Kings Online, I'll be talking to my colleagues about their roles here at King's College London within the online and professional executive education team. We'll be delving into the processes of creating online courses, from ideation to delivery, inclusive design, accessibility, and where we stand in the wider online learning community. Hello and welcome to today's episode. This week I sat down with my colleague Abby, who's an e-learning visual designer here at OPE. In this week's episode we talk about what an e-learning visual designer is, how this type of role differs in other industries, and the importance of inclusive and accessible design. Yeah, I kind of wanted to start this chat just talking a little bit about what an e-learning visual designer is okay. in, a, in a nutshell. So an e-learning visual designer works with the academic, with the instructional designer and with the content developer to produce the final product on Keats. And the particular role of the e-learning visual designer is to respond to the content and create visual elements or media such as animation, graphics, infographics and illustration and in some cases narrative graphic design so kind of comic strips. Cool and Keats is obviously the Moodle platform. Oh sorry yeah Keats is the king's oh, Moodle platform. <laughs> Just in case you know we have anybody out there who doesn't know what Keats who is. Who doesn't know Keats? Oh, I know them. I know. So how different is an e-learning visual designer to just a standard visual designer? Is visual designer one of those sort of like generic job titles that you would have in other industries or is it something very niche and specific? So it does exist in other industries. I think generally it would probably be called graphic design, but I guess what makes it different is you're kind of working a bit more collaboratively with the content in order to kind of evolve it and enhance it with your design. That's the way I think of it anyway. So it's quite kind of specialised in terms of producing visuals that really incorporate and enhance quite kind of complex academic content. Actually, this role isn't really very graphic design-y because we have such good UX team and such good UX research. As a result, such good UX design. The kind of overarching graphic design decisions are kind of taken off our hands which I'm personally quite grateful about because I don't come from a graphic design background. So the typography and layout and colour combinations aren't something that is the remit of the visual designer, really. So it's more like producing visuals and animations that really respond to or kind of incorporate the academic content rather than graphic design. So it's kind of more illustrative, I would say. So it gets more down into the heart of the actual responding to the content and more about kind of visually representing complex information. Cool. Well, I don't think I ever knew that, to be honest. Well, every day's a school day. (laughs) I'm learning something. (laughs) What I was thinking about when you asked to do this interview is how much this job has changed since I first started. So when I first started, I would say that the visual designer role 
was much more prescriptive in that the instructional designer would tell you what images they wanted and where they would go. And that now the e-learning visual designer has much more kind of input at an earlier stage and it's a much more collaborative role. So working with the academics and working with the instructional designers from an earlier stage and working with the content from an earlier stage. So it's much more creative and reactive now. What sort of impact do you think that that has on like the final product that we produce and the overall student experience? I think it's really clear that that change has really positively impacted the product and that we're able to produce much more thoughtful and creative elements that go within the content. And we've only really started doing animation in the last year and a half. And I think that has enhanced our product so much. Yeah, there's definitely certainly a lot more complex elements to the type of visual work that we produce, like not just within media. What do you think are some of the challenges about working in that way? I mean, if there are any challenges. In terms of working more more thoughtfully and creatively, you mean? Yeah. Well, I guess it's like resource thing, mostly, in that, that we do still have the same amount of projects and we still have the same amount of work to do and you're not going to be able to kind of react so thoughtfully to every bit of content that you receive like the nature of the work is that sometimes you're going to have to just crack out some decorative or descriptive images to go with the content and you're not going to be able to put as much thought into it as you want. I think what's helped and having kind of input at an earlier stage is that the e-learning visual designer is able to kind of focus their resources in a in a more targeted way So you can decide at an earlier stage, well, this module is going to have one really complex animation and two really complex infographics, and then the rest of the images are going to be quite simple. So you know where to focus your resources. I mean, I suppose like any other role really is that we're all working within very specific time constraints and everyone has to be very thoughtful in how they organise their time and plan what they're going to do and how. Yeah, definitely. And also it just really depends on your team as well. But I would say that a lot of the academics really enjoy working in that way. And I guess some academics haven't had the chance to kind of think about ways of visually or creatively presenting their content. And they've always got really involved and enthusiastic about it where we're given the opportunity to talk about it or think about it in that way which is really nice and really rewarding. So of the academics that we've collaborated with on some of the programs that we've worked on already who've kind of responded really positively to discussions around uh, visually representing their content in different ways do you think that that could impact perhaps the ways in which academics would then maybe tweak some of their face-to-face content? Mm. Do you think there are lessons to be learned in the way in which we visually represent content online because we have to because it's a very mm. uh, controlled environment do you think that that mm. could impact positively on face-to-face teaching well I, I know that many academics and module leads that we've worked with I know on tax law and in cyber security that they've used things that we've created in their face-to-face learning which is really satisfying to know that it's kind of impacted on on the way that they teach or the content of that that they're teaching and that gives you the idea that what we've done is like worthwhile beyond the online environment as well yeah and I guess like the longevity of that one specific thing you know like animations I mean I produce the audio for all the animations that we work on and having worked with you and other visual designers 
it is such a complex time consuming process to put all of those elements together and make sure that you know the essence of that specific animation still kind of comes to life that I think once that one thing is produced it must be nice to know that you've got something that can sort of stand the test of time and can kind of be reused in multiple different purposes Mm. yeah definitely it just kind of makes you realize that that it was the right approach or it was the right way of thinking about something as we're not experts in that field to kind of know that it's then being used is quite gratifying so if we were hiring for um a new e-learning visual designer what are the things that you think they should know about the role within our team so i guess uh things like the team environment or anything specific to what it is to be a visual designer in an online learning environment I would encourage them to get involved at an early stage of a project's development and to build a working relationship with as many people as possible within a project team. So that's including the teaching fellow and the academic um, and know that they'll work very closely with all the members of the team within Kings Online as well. So you work very closely with the instructional designer, with the content developer, with the ELA and with the project manager and to kind of think of themselves within the team So not just producing fun visuals in isolation. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think the best work is always produced when the conversation happens at an early stage with the academic, with the module lead and with the instructional designer. I wanted to talk a little bit about the research done on visual design. Mm. A lot of work goes into all of the designs and how you approach the content and thinking about kind of Mm. representing it visually. So we have personal development and research and development time within our role. And me and one of the other visual designers use that time to look at visuals specifically within online learning. And I think all of our findings was kind of backed up by everything that had been said by the the user research that had been done by the UX team. And the, the visuals that were really valuable are the ones that enhance the content and kind of visually represent complex information within the content rather than just being decorative. And that those images can sometimes be kind of distracting and not very engaging. Whereas if you're using visuals that are kind of more thoughtful, more complex, they're the ones that add the most value to the content. Um, And it was really interesting to kind of read academic research about that and find out what things that you'd taken for granted were backed up by that research and which things you'd taken for granted were actually proven to not be what you thought they'd be. So it was really interesting to kind of think about that within an online learning environment, particularly. We've talked a lot about the visual designer role being a very creative role. And something that really strikes me and it's conversations that I've had with different members of the team about this idea of the online learning team that we work within as being a very creative team. And not a lot of people would think that online learning would be a kind of a wholly creative environment. Can you talk me through some of the roles that you've had before this? Have they been very similar? Has your kind of career trajectory led you down this path in a very linear, organic way? I would say that there's nothing linear or organic about my career trajectory. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been quite disparate, I guess is the word. So um, I guess like what a lot of the roles that I've had have in common is that they've been about communication and I guess education to some extent. So um, I worked for a number of years in Greece for an environmental NGO and I was working there as a scientific illustrator. So I was gathering materials from snorkeling trips, so photographs and sketches, 
um, and then creating illustrations of marine animals for identification guides, for conservation education materials, and then for online materials as well. And I was also teaching there. So I guess there's a kind of theme of education (laughs) that runs through what I've done. Um, But when I came back to London, I worked in a number of roles. I was working freelance as an illustrator for a while as well. And I worked at the Royal College of Surgeons for a little while. So I was working as a um, technical assistant. So I was preparing cadaveric material for surgical courses. And then after that, I was working in the safety office at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, which is where I started creating online learning materials for the safety courses. So I guess there's like some linear element to that role than the one I have now. I mean, yeah, there's a very obvious crossover in terms of, I guess, education and illustrating for the purpose of educating. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because like I trained as a scientific illustrator and I think that my biggest kind of takeaway from that course and doing that course was it was about how to communicate really complex information in a visual way, which is what I try and do now in my current role. So in terms of like other more traditional graphic design roles, do you think that there's the potential for there to be a lot of crossover between how visuals are created and designed? Does it does the purpose of it necessarily make a huge difference? I think the purpose of it does make a difference. I think because you're if you're illustrating or designing for marketing purposes, for example, then focus is on making something visually appealing. And while that is obviously a consideration in the work that we create here, I think within online learning, the visuals function as ways of communicating or explaining things in a way that is kind of easier to digest or in a way that you can show more complex things happening in a quicker way than you could with text. So I guess the like function of the design is slightly different in that you're communicating rather than appealing or making something attractive. Yeah. And like obviously that is a consideration and we'd always try and do that, but I think the communication is the bigger consideration. And I guess communication in a sense that you don't know who that student is and you don't know what their level of knowledge is about something so I guess it sounds it sounds like it's a lot more complex to create something where you're not really sure exactly what level they're at so you have Mm. to make it like pretty accessible across the board well to a Mm. certain degree I mean they're master's level courses so there's a general expectation that our students are at a certain level so yeah exactly yeah that's the thing like we we actually do know quite a lot about our students now as a result of the user research So it's quite interesting kind of having such specific information about your audience as a designer, because I think when you're designing in a commercial setting, your audience is obviously a lot broader, whereas here it's quite a targeted audience. You know that they're experts in a particular field and you know they have a certain level of understanding and a certain kind of expectation as well of what they're going to be consuming in the online learning. So when we're talking about visual design within online learning, We've talked a bit about knowing certain elements of our students and the level of experience and knowledge that they might already have. And I think it's really important to think about as well the fact that we don't necessarily know all there is to know about like their cultural or ethnic background. How important do you think it is to really think about those things when you're designing for online environments? I think representation is really important within design. And I think it's really important that people are able to see themselves. And especially when you've got kind of more technical 
subjects where some people may be underrepresented, then I think it's really important to show a wide range of characters within your visual design or within the kind of images that you use. Um, and it's definitely a conversation that we've had within the team, within the team of e-learning visual designers about how we make our design more inclusive and more representative. And I think that it's across a number of fields of representation. So in terms of ethnicity, in terms of gender, in terms of body shape as well, I think that there's a default that we really try and avoid of the like white male skinny character. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that we've seen that we're starting to see more of that? I mean, not only not only in our I definitely courses. think it's something definitely something that sorry, I should I should let you finish your <laughs> question right. before I start talking. <laughs> Very bad podcast etiquette. <laughs> um but I definitely think it's something that we've started thinking about and talking about more and just to like have that conversation is means that it's something that we think about even if we're not acting on it which I think is a really good start. Do you have any specific examples of any of the projects that you've worked on where being more thoughtful about an inclusive design has been something at the forefront of what it is that you're producing? Yeah I think I did it again. (laughs) (laughs) So bad I'm such an interrupter. (laughs) Yeah so I've I've been working on the Padalea project so that's um, a project in collaboration with FutureLearn and a few other organisations where we produce online courses for refugees in camps in Jordan and Lebanon. And there you really know that you're designing for a specific audience in terms of kind of level of English and in terms of culture as well. So it's really important that they're able to recognise themselves within the design that you use and also thinking about any kind of cultural sensitivities that you may not naturally think of is quite interesting. Yeah, I suppose it's kind of questions that we're not used to kind of seeing a hell of a lot in mainstream media, or maybe we are now. Mm. It's difficult because I think, yeah, conversations around it are obviously happening a lot more now. The more that we see things coming out in the media, I mean, obviously now the Black Lives Matter movement is at the front and center because so many things are happening now to kind of put it there. And also a lot more people are getting involved who wouldn't necessarily have kind of got involved in those conversations. I think as a society, we're trying to get more towards being more inclusive of others and using our voices on behalf of others as well. That hopefully is something that we'll see across the board in online learning a bit more as well. I think that sometimes it's dismissed as being like a sticking plaster or as not being that important or impactful. But I think it's really important for people to see themselves reflected in design. And I think that's like one crucial thing that we can think about and do as designers that has a real world impact. Yeah, And I think as well that that's really important for online environments where, you know, you're not one person sat in a classroom or sat in a seminar amongst people, you know, who may or may not be similar to you. But if you are especially <laughs> being in isolation in, in your home, doing your online learning, just being able to kind of see someone that looks a bit like you or see someone who doesn't look like the mainstream can really like impact that journey and make you feel slightly less isolated and more part of an online community if you don't get that sort of like face-to-face in-person contact. Yeah, definitely. And that was something because what in the research that I did about visuals and online learning, I was looking particularly at kind of using narrative and using visual narrative as a way of engaging people that was something that came up quite a few times was that 
if you have a character, it's really it's a really good way of getting people to empathise and engage with the information that you're presenting. And if you can kind of get that character to represent, or if you have an, a range of characters so they represent as many of your audience as possible, then you'll get a lot more engagement as well. Is there anything that you have learned from any of the programs that you've worked on? Or anything, or any like really obscure information that you have just sort of taken on board randomly through osmosis that has happened whilst you've been working on a program. Uh, <laughs> um, oh well, the, the most the most fun one was that in 1974, the owner of the Blackpool Pleasure Beach tried to get a tax break by claiming that the Big Dipper roller coaster was a form of public transport. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember that one. Yeah. Oh, I love that one. So that's a good, a good fun party fact. <laughs> <laughs> See, tax law can be so much fun, oh, can't it? Oh, tax law is great, yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. I think we should end it there. Awesome. Thanks, Rachel. You are most welcome. Thanks for being on the podcast. You've been listening to Putting Kings Online. Subscribe, rate and share us wherever you get your podcasts. Putting Kings Online is hosted, produced and edited by me, Rachel Wall, and is a production brought to you by the online and professional executive education team here at King's College London.